Our ushers come and bring you a Bible if you would like a Bible to follow along. And I hope you have one. If you need one, raise your hand. Bible will be brought to you. And then get to John 15. And we're picking up here in verse 18. In this great passage that we've been studying now. We've been looking through this chapter here in chapter 15. We've been a couple Sundays in it already. And we've been focusing on abiding in the vine. That great verse that Anna shared has kind of been a theme to her. And uh, abiding in the vine should be really what is paramount in our lives. Abiding in Jesus. Living closely connected to Jesus. Living in constant communion with Jesus. Well, last week we looked at what abiding in the vine does. And we looked at a couple of things. Well, it increases our, our confidence even in how we pray and seek the Lord. It increases our love. It should cause us to be bearing that fruit of love, love one with another, of course, as Jesus instructed us to do. But then we see now what else abiding in the vine does. Hey, it increases our opposition. Woo! Yay! We get to talk about persecution today, church. Aren't you excited to be here in the house of the Lord? And All right. Well, thankful. Yes, we're thankful today. It's Thanksgiving. Well, so this is what we're going to be looking at here today because you would think that abiding in the vine is going to cause the world to look at what's going on in our lives and go, wow, those guys are so awesome, so cool. I want to, I want to be with those people. I want to be to say those. Not the case. In fact, the world is going to look at you as believers very differently than how we might expect them even to look at us. All simply for being followers of Jesus. So we're going to look today at this wonderful, uplifting, exciting, encouraging passage dealing with opposition, persecution, and hatred from the world as believers in Christ. Look at verse 18 of chapter 15 in John's Gospel. Jesus says, as he's speaking with his disciples, as he's pouring in, remember, hours away from going to the cross, right? He's just, he's just very, very close now to giving it all up to the most crucial hour in his life, really. And yet what Jesus is doing is he's pouring into his disciples, wanting to equip them, encourage them, strengthen them, you see? And Jesus says to his disciples here in verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world hates you. Now Jesus wants his disciples just to kind of get a little dose of reality here. All right. Because as we've been talking about abiding in the vine, bearing fruit, that fruit being a, a number of things, but chiefly love. Again, the disciples might think, I mean, we're following Jesus. We're abiding in the vine. We're, we're bearing fruit. What's not to love, right? Who would ever want to oppose us? The disciples might be thinking that way. Maybe some of you, when you first gave your life to Jesus, thought everything's just going to be, you know, smooth sailing, bed of roses. All of a sudden you realize, wait, why, why are people antagonistic towards me well jesus wants to give the disciples a bit of uh, of reality here and let them know listen the world is going to hate you but understand it's because of me it's because the world hates me and when he says there if the world hates you it's not so much jesus saying you know guys there's a small chance that everybody's not going to think you're so lovely there's a small chance that the world 
might kind of, you know, want to stick it to you a little bit. No, basically when Jesus says, if the world hates you, he's saying, guys, you can prepare for this. Be ready for this. Expect this. It's almost like Jesus is saying, since the world is going to hate you, just understand that it hated me before it hated you. It's all because of their view of Jesus. You see, who you are connected to has an effect on how people will perceive you. Right? Don't, don't you see that even in our world, how people are so quick to call you out just because of who you might have had coffee with or who you might be associating with in, in, in a small way. Just think about this just even in our news. And I, you know, just this past week, we saw Ellen, love or hate her, doesn't matter, but Ellen, who is hanging out at a football game in, in the, you know, the suite, whatever, sitting beside George, sitting beside George W. Bush, who gets caught on camera. Suddenly everybody starts going, oh my goodness, Ellen, how could you be sitting next to that man? She's like, I'm just watching a football game. I'm sitting... You see, who you become connected to, and that's not even to say that she's super connected to George W. Bush, but that just sitting there, right? Suddenly now, the perception of who you are changes in people's eyes. Well, in the same way here, who you are connected to is going to affect how people view you. So if the world hates you and hates Jesus, then it must mean that you're living like Jesus. That's not a bad thing, is it here? It shows that you're being connected to Jesus. It shows that you're being like Jesus. Now, some Christians make it a little too easy for the world to think differently of you. Some Christians make it a little bit too easy for the world to look down on you and go, oh my goodness, look at those guys. Whether it be in how you conduct yourself, you know, don't come across super, you know, elite or more spiritual or superior than some people. Don't come across that way. Some Christians, they find their need to feel like they have to be completely separate from the world, have nothing to do with the world, and even almost look down on people in the world for for them to feel like they're walking in holiness or being more like Jesus. Well, you become an easy target for the world's hatred with that kind of attitude, don't you think? Did Jesus live that way? No, he was called a friend of sinners. People liked hanging out with him. It was those that didn't want to deal with their sin that had a hard time with him. And we'll get to that a little bit later here. But when we live naturally for Jesus and like Jesus, we're going to make some people uncomfortable. And that's where the the hatred and the opposition often stems from. You see, when Jesus talks about the world here, we're we're talking about the, the world's system that's in opposition and in rebellion to God. It's the flow of the world that's saying, we don't want anything to do with God. We're not talking about the world being people. Because remember, God says, you know, God so loved the world. He gives only sin. So we're not talking about people or feeling like we need to you know, separate from people or be away from people. We're talking about being different from that world flow that sets itself up in opposition to God. We have a different value system than that of the world, a different purpose and a different focus. So we walk very contrary to the flow of the world. This rubs people the wrong way. And so they despise you. They despise the followers of Christ because of that. In fact, Ephesians 2 verse 2 says this, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. We were all on that track ourselves before Jesus, right? Which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. 
See, without Christ, people are still being led along by the course of this world. And when others now step away from that, step out of it, move away from it, well, the world would rather hate you than befriend you. They're still stuck in that rut, that course of the world. And they see others that are leaving, and they're, some will go, I-, I want what they have, but others will say, why are they going differently than I am? Why are they making me feel so now weird or different? And so they want to hate you. Especially when you say that the only way out is through Jesus. The only way out of that rut is through Jesus. The world doesn't like the narrow view of salvation. They want to have it their way. And so instead of receiving this great love and grace of Jesus that's offered to them freely, they fight against it, they rebel, and you become an enemy to them. But listen, you're either going to be an enemy of God or an enemy to the world. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, here's the thing. We haven't called to be popular or to be like the world. We're called to be out of the world, to be like otherworldly. And that doesn't mean that you have to now separate yourself or that you can't participate in the things of the world. This is where some Christians go with this verse that they have to be completely removed altogether. They got to get off the grid. They got to get away from the world so that they're not themselves tainted. They got to be completely separate so they get off the grid and they're out churning butter in their barn, you know. And it's that kind of lifestyle that they think, oh, we we can't have anything to do with the world. That's not what the Bible is saying here. All right? We're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. And, and we're to be in the world so that we can be a light of Jesus to the world. But here's all Jesus is saying. As you're conducting yourself in the world, doesn't mean you're removing yourself. It means that you're still participating in things of the world that are on a level where we're not displeasing the Father or going against the Father's will. As you're participating in things in the world, you're to be being that light. You're to be standing out. You're to make a difference. But Jesus is saying, when you do that, just realize the outcome. The reality is that People are probably going to oppose you because that's shining that light into their life, into where they're at. I just think Jesus is talking about living in a way that runs counter opposite of the world because it's that alone that is going to cause the world to hate you. What's it look like to run counter opposite of the world? It, It means to walk in love, to serve one another, to lay yourself down, to consider others better than yourself. That's typically foreign stuff to the world. And when they see that, they're realizing that they're not there. That they're not doing that. And when they see people acting this way, they don't, want, they don't know how to handle it or deal with it. <clears throat> when they see love, kindness, forgiveness, purpose in believers, their response is to fight against it. It's almost like it's uncomfortable to them. And so their response is to hate it and to hate you. But don't take it personally because they treated Jesus the same way. That's all Jesus is saying. Hey, just understand, they hated me. And that's why they're treating you that way. Jesus says in verse 20, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. If Jesus endured this kind of opposition... And we know he did. He's, he's just about to come in the garden of Gethsemane. He's not already there. He's going to be 
betrayed by one of his own. He's going to be falsely accused. He's going to go under a, 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 a false trial. He's going to be beaten. And he's going to be killed. And if Jesus endured that kind of opposition, why, why should we think that we'd be exempt from anything like that? We're his servants. And we shouldn't expect to get an easier ride than he did. J. Vernon McGee says this, No Christian has any right to be more popular than Jesus was. Beware of a compromising position in order to be popular. The world will not love a real child of God. The world will love you if you are of the world. You don't have to act oddly or be super pious. The world will hate you if you're a child of God. Plain and simple. And again, throughout scripture, we're given no indication that we're going to be free from trouble, that we're going to have a, a free pass in these things. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. <clears throat> Amen. Hallelujah. That's a promise that you can grab a hold of today. Not a pleasant one, but that's the reality. The Bible's made it clear for us. It doesn't try to hide this. It doesn't say, hey, come to Jesus. Everything's going to be great. And I'll say, oh, we got you now. Oh, man, you're in for some real trouble. No, the Bible doesn't hide that from us. Makes it clear. It's just the reality of living for Jesus. Because the world has tuned them out. And in order to keep themselves from having to deal with their conscience and their own conviction, they want to tune you out as well. They hate having the light shining on their life. They, they love their darkness. And anyone who continues to turn on the light of Jesus now, shine for him in their lives, well, they're going to want to put that away. They want to remain in their darkness. So you become a, a target of their hatred as well. Persecution of the saints has always been the attempt of Satan to foil the plans of God. And, and, and the world is happy to oblige because it silences their conviction for a time as well. You see, if those in the world had followed Jesus, if they'd followed his word, as it says there at the end of verse 20, well, then they would accept yours as well. They'd have no problem with what you're saying, what you're talking about, what, what you're giving out in the name of Jesus. They'd have no problem with it, but they didn't accept his word. It's not the case. Look at verse 21. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. See, the crazy thing is that all throughout Scripture, God has made very clear this plan of redemption that is going to be provided through the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, Jesus Christ, right? All through Scripture, they've had this prepared for them. The world should have been excited and ready to receive Jesus when he came. They should have been like, yeah, this is it. He's the one lining up with everything the Scriptures have prophesied about the Messiah, right? But they failed to truly comprehend what God was doing how he was doing it. They failed to truly know God. That was their problem. They didn't know God and so they didn't understand what God was doing. And in so doing, by not knowing God, they weren't ready to receive Jesus. And so because of that disconnect now, the world rejected Jesus and they do the same to the followers of Jesus, generally speaking. They will, they will treat you wrongly because your life is connected to Jesus. That's it. It, Jesus says in verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. Now when Jesus says here that they would have no sin, he's not saying, well, they would have remained sinless if they had just accepted. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying that because he came and he was the light in the world, well, suddenly their sin was exposed. 
right? They began to become aware of where they were at. They, if Jesus didn't reveal those things, they wouldn't have had the same knowledge of their sin. It didn't mean that they would be sinless, but they wouldn't have that knowledge of sin. They were lawbreakers after all, pretty much from birth, but they need to have this sin exposed. It's like if you're driving, you know, 80 kilometers down a road that you didn't realize was actually a 50 kilometer zone, suddenly you, you sail past that speed limit sign that says 50 kilometers, you're now hit with a decision. Am I going to obey that sign or keep going my 80 kilometers? That's the reality, right? Pray for me. I'm just about there. I'm just about ready to <laughs> obey those signs, but keep working on me. But you can either accept it and obey, or you, you say, who, who decided 50 kilometers down this road? What's the matter with them? This is clearly an 80 kilometer zone. Like this is no problem. Who made that decision? You can either accept it or you're going to say, I don't like it. And that's kind of what people are doing with Jesus. Who's this guy? Like he's, he's dealing, he's telling me what I'm, what I'm, he's exposing this. And not that Jesus was trying to point the finger and say, oh, you he just was being Jesus. That was enough. Just letting that light shine. People are being convicted. They can either accept it and go, okay, yeah, man, we, we need, we need you, Jesus. Or they can say, who does this guy think he is? We're not going to accept that. That's, that's what we're seeing happening in people's lives. You either accept him and you receive the wonderful grace and forgiveness of sin. You find life in him or you reject him and you continue on in misery. And guess what? People that are miserable are not oftentimes very happy people, right? That's why you're seeing such animosity, antagonism, hatred towards you. They're not happy. They realize, man, we're fighting a losing battle here. We want to remain in our sin, but we know this isn't the best. See, the truth of the matter is found right here in John 3, 17 to 20. So it says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, hallelujah, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. And does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Guys, that's right there in a nutshell what we're dealing with here in the world. What Jesus is getting at here in John 15. And the world's going to have a different view of you than you think they should be having of you. But it's because they don't like the light shining in. They want to remain in their darkness. And... As Jesus is saying here in, in verses 21, or sorry, 22 and 23, they're, they're rejecting Jesus, but in so doing, they're rejecting the Father also. A person cannot say they believe in and love God without believing in and loving Jesus. Those two actions can't be separated. Jesus says in verse 24, If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin, but now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened, that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. See, the people had no reason, right, to respond to Jesus this way. The world was, in fact, Jesus says, I've come and I've demonstrated all these things that I've done that nobody else has done. I mean, the things that they've witnessed Jesus do, they should have quickly reasoned and summarized that, 
This is more than just a man. This, is, this has got to be the Son of God. Nobody has done the things that Jesus does. He's somebody special. We better listen to him. But you see, they didn't receive that. They rejected it. If Jesus didn't come and do the things he did, maybe you could give the world a pass for not receiving him or accepting him. You'd think, well, you know, okay. I mean, they just didn't know. No, Jesus is saying, you knew by the very things that I've done. So that they're without excuse. They've hated him, Jesus says, without a cause. There's absolutely no reason for them to treat Jesus this way. And that all simply fulfilled what was written in Psalm 69. As Jesus says, as the scripture has said, as, as is written in their law. Notice he says, as is written in their law. See, the very people that were rejecting Jesus was oftentimes the religious people. The ones that were trying to pull the law, looking at the law saying, well, we're so faithful to the word. But Jesus says, if you had just known your own law and your word, you would have seen that there were those. And, and the, you see, the people following the law, they had a great love for King David, right? This great hero of theirs, King David. But right there in Psalm 69, they should have seen that even David wrote about how he was hated without cause. And now Jesus is saying, you're treating me now the same way that your beloved David was being treated. Should have recognized that, should have seen that. They're doing the exact same thing now. And so the disciples now, as they're going through this conversation, might be looking at all this thinking, oh my goodness, man, this is a, this is a whole lot more than we bargained for here. <laughs> Following Jesus so far has been pretty cool. But now he's starting to drop this bomb on us here. I mean, they might be thinking, Lord, it's one thing for you to be led like a lamb to the slaughter, but does that have to be our reality too? Does that really have to be the case? I mean, you wouldn't blame them for kind of thinking this way. So Jesus now, he begins to reveal to them once again, that they're going to have help in this. They're going to have the helper that will aid them, equip them, strengthen them, be with them as they minister to the world and deal with the world's opposition. Look at verse 26. Jesus says, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify me and you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. See, the Holy Spirit now, Jesus says, he's your helper. And he's going to come into the world and make Jesus known. And it's not just going to be up to the disciples now to make sure that the word gets out and for people to come and receive Jesus. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is going to be speaking to the world, testifying in me. The Holy Spirit is going to point the world to me and make me known. You're going to have help. This isn't just going to be on you. You're going to have help in these things. But that doesn't mean the disciples could just sit back now knowing that the work's taken care of. Oh, the Holy Spirit's got this. We just got to sit back and see more. No, because what does Jesus say? And you also, in verse 27, you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. The disciples would have a role to play because they've been tracking with Jesus. They've seen the work of Jesus. They have a, a, a testimony now. They have a story that needs to be shared with the world. Just as you all have a testimony, a story to share with others of what Jesus has done for you. Aren't you glad that Jesus came in his grace and in his love and offered you forgiveness free of charge? Where he has picked you up from the pit, from the ashes, and he's made you new in him. He's given you new life and eternal life to look forward to. Aren't you glad that Jesus has done that for you? Amen. Amen? 
I pray that every person in this room has experienced that, knows that personally, that very redeeming, saving work of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus came and died on a cross, was to pay the penalty for your sin, to remove the wrath of God that was against you and bring you now into a right relationship with God through his sacrifice, through his forgiveness, through his grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Jesus has done that. And and if you're here today and you don't know that reality for yourself, receive that today. Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But here's the great thing is that you all have a story to tell. Some of you might think, oh no, I can't can't go out and witness to the world. I can't be. No. You just need to tell people what I just told you. That Jesus has given you life in him, forgiveness of sin. That's all you need to pass on. Share that with people. You have seen what Jesus has done in your life. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. You've been with me from the beginning. You know what I've done? Just tell people about it. Tell people about what Jesus has done in your life. Look at chapter 16. We'll get into the first couple verses here. And by couple, I mean more than just two. But you know, you get the idea. Chapter 16 Verse 1, these things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. He, he thought it couldn't get much worse, right? Well, hey, it's getting a little bit more serious, isn't it? Verse 3, and these things they will do to you because they've not known the Father nor me. So Jesus puts this all out on the table now for us to be aware that, that we won't be shocked when we see the world treating us in a way that we think we don't deserve. And we think, wait, I'm just walking in love. I'm just, I'm just trying to serve and make Jesus known, but yet the world is going to come against you. Jesus says, I've spoken to you about these things so that you won't be made to stumble. When you see it happening, you're not going to sit there and doubt and wonder, why? This wasn't in the manual. This isn't the way it's supposed to work. Jesus says, I'm letting you know. So that you won't be made to stumble, that you won't be shocked or surprised when you do encounter these kinds of things. They're going to put you out of the synagogue. Now, in that day, that was a pretty serious thing. Because the synagogue was really the center of their whole social life, religious life. It was all about that for the believers. So now to be put out of the synagogue, excommunicated meant that now... Your family was cut off from you. A lot of your, your business, nobody would be conducting business with you. It, just, it, it, it was a complete loss of all livelihood now for you. It was a serious thing. We think, oh, I'll be put out of the city, I'll be put out of the church. Well, we'll just go to the church down the road, no big deal. In this day, it wasn't the case. This was heavy for them. Verse 4, Jesus says, But these things I have told you, that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you them, and these things I did not say to you at the beginning, because I was with you. So you see, Jesus wants his disciples to be prepared. He doesn't want them to be shocked, surprised. This is in God's word, so that we won't be shocked and surprised. Now, for centuries, people have been probably reading this thinking, Oh, we don't really... We oftentimes are out of touch with the reality of what goes on. And yet, all through the world, there are people that are literally having to lay down their life just for being a believer, a Christian. 
we're immune from a lot of that, but we're starting to see that heating up now in, in North America. Maybe not physically, although that's happening, but just in the people looking at you as Christians going, oh, you're so intolerant. Oh, you're so filled with hate. And it's only that we're not following along with everything that they want to see happen. We're trying to show, hey, you know what? There's a, there's a better way. It's found in Jesus. But they don't want to hear that. So now the world is increasingly looking at Christians as being the problem. It's the Christians that are holding us back from moving forward in this new kind of enlightenment, in this new era of love. But it's not true love. It's just about we want to force everybody into our way of thinking is what's going on. So we're starting to see this kind of stuff even heating up to a degree right now. But Jesus says here, listen, I didn't tell you these things right away. That, that wouldn't be a great lead in, hey, come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men and you'll probably die. Why don't you come and... I mean, that's not a good lead in, right? When you're calling the disciples to yourself. Jesus says, I didn't share these things with you right at the beginning. You weren't ready for it. There's a lot of things that... You know, we need to grow in that the Lord holds back from us. It's for our good. I'm glad that the Lord doesn't unfold everything to us right away. I wouldn't be ready for it. I'd be like, Lord, you, you, what? This is what's going to happen? Oh, no. Keep me in the dark because I don't want to know right now. I'm not ready for that. It's like, you know, when you're uh, uh, about to get married, you don't tell your fiance that you're a bad snore until after the honeymoon. You wait. She's not ready for it earlier than that. It could be jeopardy in your relationship, right? You just let that go until after. Say, oh, did I forget to mention that? Yeah, I snore wickedly. Great to be married to you, honey. Okay, but you let things in at the right time. And so Jesus is saying, I didn't share this with you right away because you wouldn't be ready for it. Now, here's the thing. Jesus is going to be with them. The Holy Spirit is going to be present with them. He's going to aid them and help them and encourage them. Now, when you fast forward now to Jesus going to heaven, the Holy Spirit being poured out, day of Pentecost, and you start to see in the book of Acts, these believers, this early church, began to face persecution just for being followers of Christ. But notice what we read here. I love this scene in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5, verse 40 to 42. And they agreed with him, who, who was Gamaliel, speaking on their behalf in the council. And, and when they called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council. Look at this. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and, and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. See, these disciples became men that counted it a joy and privilege to undergo persecution. Why? Because it meant that they were doing something right. They were living like Jesus. And that didn't bring fear or worry to them, but it brought greater joy. How does that happen? And that comes as we just live obediently when we know we're carrying out God's work. The Holy Spirit, I believe, is just so filling them and empowering them that they're counting this now a joy just for suffering, persecution. They're, they're leaving, they're rejoicing. That's incredible. Even in our modern times, this still goes on and serves the same purpose. Look at what Richard Wernbrandt said. He says, it was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. 
A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching. So we accepted their, the communist terms. It was a deal. We preached and they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating us. So everyone was happy. It's not great. Here's a man that was in prison just for being a believer. Just for holding his faith. And he says, you know what? We decided, no, we're going to just keep living for Jesus. And if it means getting beat, well, we're going to rejoice that we were counted worthy of suffering shame for Jesus Christ. Well, we're going to wrap it up right there. But let's look at a couple things here just to kind of keep us thinking through this here. First of all, as we read this passage, it can be very maybe discouraging for some, but I want to say don't lose hope. Though it sounds like everyone is going to hate you for being a Christian, Jesus is just showing the majority of you by those who are following the world. But nobody is outside the reach of God's grace, and many can and will come to know Jesus through your testimony. So keep shining bright. Don't lose hope. There will be many that will be one for Jesus through your testimony. Secondly, this world is not our home. The Bible says that we're strangers, aliens, foreigners that are just passing through. Don't let your desire be for this world. Rather, let your desire be for Jesus because he's far greater than any worldly gain that we might receive. Thirdly, persecution has often had a purifying and prospering effect on the church. It's brought greater fruit, greater strength, and greater revival. David Jeremiah says, The strange truth about persecution is that it has an enigmatic effect. It strengthens the church. In Romans 5, the Apostle Paul encourages believers to glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. History bears testimony to the fortifying effect of persecution. A Syrian pastor in recent times said, we are not passing through anything our Lord did not pass through himself and triumph over. Being persecuted recently in Syria is nothing. We have been persecuted for centuries, and it does not hurt the church, but serve it. See, the enemy thinks we can devour the believers. We can, we can squash them through our persecution. But all through history, we've seen that it is the persecution that has actually strengthened the church and caused it to grow even greater. It's amazing what the Lord can do through all this if we just remain faithful to him. And so this morning, I'm going to call the worship team to come up and we're going to, we're going to close with a song here this morning. And, but... I want to pause and pray for the persecuted church here this morning. Here's some stats taken from October 2017 to November 2018. Looking at the persecuted church by numbers or by the numbers, 245 million Christians in the world who experience high levels of persecution for the choice to follow Christ. One in nine Christians worldwide experience high levels of persecution. 14% is the rise in the number of Christians in the top 50 countries on the world watch list who experience high levels of persecution. 4,136 Christians are killed for faith-related reasons in the top 50 world watch list. And 2,625 Christians detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned in these top WWL countries. Listen, we may not face heavy persecution but many christians around the world are and and we need to be faithful to pray for the persecuted church here and so let's do that here this morning let's pray for one another and that we will 
uphold that testimony, go in the world with, with boldness, live in our life for Jesus, knowing that it may not always be easy, but Jesus is with us and he will see us through. So let's pause and pray and then we're going to end with a song here. So let's stand together. Lord, we come before you here this morning and we thank you, God, for this word that, Lord, is not always an easy one to hear, but you've let these things be known to us so that we wouldn't be surprised or shocked when it happens. And yet, Lord, you faced all these things yourself. In fact, you faced even greater persecution because you died. That's nothing that we can say yet for ourselves. And Lord, I pray that we would be those that are just faithful to live for you, to be a light for you in this world. And I pray that you would strengthen and encourage one another here today that might be thinking, am I ready for that? Am I going to be able to stand true to you in the face of persecution? But Lord, we're grateful that you've told us you sent us the helper, the one that will equip us and aid us and strengthen us in greater ways than we can ourselves. So we trust, Lord, that what you're going to do, you will do to uphold us and to be a light for you, to let our testimony of you be known, Jesus. And may we have boldness just to go out in the world and live for you. And we pray for the persecuted church around the world where many Christians are, are risking truly their very life to live for you. We pray for a greater strength, Lord, in their lives, for extra boldness, for your Holy Spirit to fill them and comfort them and strengthen them and renew them, Lord, to know that this is all, Lord, going to be worth it. Everything we do for you, Lord, is going to be worth it in the light of eternity. And so I pray that you will help them, God, to stand true for you, to live out their faith, God, even in the midst of severe persecution. But we pray that you would thwart that, Lord, that you'd protect those believers. You'd protect them from those things, God. And you'd cause, Lord, your church just to shine brightly for you all through the world. So we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.